Nothing but the blood of Jesus, right? Amen? Amen. Good morning, church. How are we doing today? Everybody enjoy the extra hour of sleep, especially after a night Buckeye victory? Yeah, I did. That's for sure. Um, my name is Greg Hester, and I'm a new life here, uh, or an elder here at New Life, and I get the honor to, to share with you this morning from 1 Peter chapter 4. But before we get started, I got a question, simple question, not going to put you on the spot, just to raise a hand. Who here likes to understand what makes people tick? Anybody? Yeah, so I'm kind of a, a people tick junkie, if you will. So uh, Myers-Briggs. Uh, personality test. I'm an ISTJ. You can go look that up. Don't be too afraid when you do to read how I'm wired. Um, Enneagram, if you've heard of that, I'm a number three. Okay, another one you can look into. And I got to tell you, when you sit there and, and read about yourself in black and white, how somebody that doesn't know you analyzes you, um, it's a little scary when you realize how accurate they are. Another thing I like to look into is birth orders. Anybody read anything about birth order and the effect it has uh, on how you behave and that sort of thing? So I'm just going to be honest with you, a moment of transparency. So uh, my wife and I have a wonderful relationship. We've been married almost 30 years. But she seems to think that I think that my birth order is the best. (laughs) No commentary, please. So, so here's the deal. Here, here's where I fall in the whole birth order scheme. So I'm a only son, middle child, okay? So what that means is my, I have an older sister. Her name's Karen. She's four years older than me, and she's your typical bossy firstborn, right? All firstborns are bossy. Can all the non-firstborns agree to that? Yeah? Okay. see lots of nodding. Now, and then my other sister, who's exactly four years younger than me, Jen, she is the baby, and babies, they get everything they want, right? Amen? They tend to be a little silly, to, you know, try to be the center of attention and all that. <laughs> right, son-in-law? <laughs> and, and here I am stuck in the middle. So one of the, one of the, the, uh, the, the strengths about my, my position, if you will, in birth order is that I tend to try to get everybody to get along. And because you're, you're stuck in the middle and you're just trying to keep peace and you're trying to survive. And as a middle child, you just, you can see points of the older, you can see points of the younger, but ultimately you're just trying to get everybody to get along. And that's why being a middle child is pretty cool. It, it's helped me. Um, I'll be honest. It's helped me at church. It's helped me in my work. It's helped me in my, my relationships in the home, trying to be the middle ground and try to get along. And, th- and that, that's a very good thing. However, I got to tell you, there's some significant weaknesses or downsides to being a middle child. You see, as, as a middle child, I tend to conform to the environment in which I'm in. I know this. Um, and it, it can be a, a very significant weakness. So on the good side, hey, where do you want to go eat? I don't care. You want to McDonald's? Sure, I'll go to McDonald's. I'll, I'll, I'm very easy to please. Um, somebody says something, I don't get easily offended. I'm, I'm able to see both sides uh, to an argument and, and try to meet in the middle. That's a good thing. But here's the thing. As a Christian, to be a conformist, that's not a good thing. And in today's world, with so many truths being spoken out there, for us to sit quiet and just accept it 
as if it's true is a tremendous failure on my part. And it's something I have to be aware of. I'll actually get into some mistakes I've made in that here in a little bit. But, you know, as, as we get ready to go through uh, the Scripture this morning, I just, I just want you to understand that we are not conformed to the world. But to live as those who have a greater reward. And by living in this way, we bring glory to God. So before we get into chapter 4, let's go ahead and bow our heads and pray. Father, I just want to thank you for the gift of today for the the beautiful fall weather and what it means and the ability for us to see your creation all around us and how it demonstrates your almighty power and love for us, Lord. I want to thank you for the gift of the word and the love letter it is to us and how it speaks to us and helps us understand who you are and what you want for our lives, Lord. Lord, I pray for willing hearts and listening ears, and, and most importantly, Lord, that the words spoken today are not my own, Lord, but, but yours and yours alone. Just guide us as we delve into Scripture, Lord, and help us to understand more who you are so we can bring you glory in all that we do. In your Son's holy and precious name, amen. Okay, so if you got your Bibles, go ahead and open up to 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to pick up from where Eric left off last week. If you don't have a Bible, there are some on the back. Now, I apologize. Um, I did not get, I'm going to read through the entire scripture here. I don't have that up on screen. I will have it up as we go through and uh, dissect the various verses. But this, we're just going to read through verses 1 through 11 here. So if you can follow along. Beginning of verse 1, it says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So as we go through these verses, uh, what I feel like I can pull out is that there's four key points, and I'm going to walk you through that um, from beginning to end. But let's start with verses 1 and 2. Beginning with verse 1, it says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live for the rest of time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Now, anytime uh, an author opens with since therefore, you got to look back from the context of what 
he's speaking about. So Peter here is actually referring back to chapter 3, verse 18, where it says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. So what he's saying here is, so since Jesus suffered in the flesh for our sins, we are to arm ourselves with the same way of thinking as Jesus, to obey our Father in heaven and to be willing to sacrifice or suffer to do what is right according to him. I think of the, the best example here is when Jesus was getting ready to go to the cross. If you remember, he was in the garden. And he was on his knees praying because, quite honestly, he knew what he was in for. And if it was, you know, if it was me, I'd probably be like, yeah, I'll pass, right? But his mind was in the right place. He understood that it was his Father's will for him to suffer and to be nailed to that cross and ultimately to die because God's will is greater. He followed it. He honored it. And he went and did those things. And we are to do the exact same thing. Now, realize... We have not ceased from sinning, right? We're going to sin as long as we are in these fleshly bodies. But we have been born again. As believers, we have been justified by Christ. We too have had victory over sin. We will never be sin-free this side of heaven. But we need to remember that Christ has already paid the price for us. And because of this, We can no longer live for human passions and desires, but instead we need to seek the will of God for our lives. That's what we as believers are called to do, and we need to act that out in every way. As long as we are still breathing in our earthly bodies, we are to pursue the will of God. And what that means is at times when we're non-conforming to the world, we're going to be judged. We're going to be looked down upon. We're going to be ridiculed. We're going to be made fun of because it's not the norm. And Peter was was saying that very thing. You will be maligned for these actions. But the good news is we've we've been made new. So picking up in verse 3, he says, For that time is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Now, how familiar does that sound? You look on TV, there's places throughout downtown Columbus you can go to and see these very things being lived out. Our world is a broken world. These things happen every day. But our time of living in the flesh, it's done. It doesn't matter whether you became a Christ follower at age 8 or age 80. All that time before that suffices. We don't need to be living that way anymore. We have a new life. We have a new standard of which we are called to as Christ followers. And we need to make sure we follow that. Have you ever been judged because of the decisions you made or the decisions you've chosen not to make because either the words you said or the words you did not say? That's a good thing. That's a sign that you're living to a different standard. Let me ask you another question, though. If you answer that question as, 
And your response is, no, I haven't been judged in that way. Why not? Are you, are you living a life that is so similar to the world that people don't see a difference? That's not what we're called to do. You know, I, I want to share a story, a personal story of mine I had. And wow, it, it, it's a marker in my walk. And uh, I'll say there's a scar there. So it was early on, we moved to Ohio. And I was working, I'm in the Air National Guard, and I was out at the base. And a, a lady that I work with came up to me one day and said, Hey, Greg, do you go to New Life Church? I said, yeah, yeah, I do. And evidently, she had been on our website and seen a photograph of me and put two and two together. And the next words out of her mouth hit me to my core. What she said was, I had no idea you were a Christian. Wow. Wow. I mean, here I am thinking I was doing everything right. I was going to church. I was actively participating. I was raising my family in the church. But yet the people that I was spending 40, honestly, in the, in the military with deployments, months with them alone. And I wasn't showing an example of what it means to be a Christ follower. And I had no defense. None. Because if she didn't see me in that light, that's on me and me alone. And I'll tell you, I... I have not forgotten that, and I don't want to ever forget that. I want people to know wherever I'm at, without a doubt, that I'm different. That I'm not conforming to the world's standards as I tend to want to do. And that's the challenge that I personally have had. So that brings me to point number one. We are called to be different from those in the world. Now moving on, Peter changes slightly in what he's addressing, beginning in verse 6. He says, For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the Spirit the way God does. For this is why, is referring back to verse 5, where he says, For they will give an account. He's talking about non-believers. But you got to realize, we will all give an account someday. Believers or non-believers, every one of us will be judged. Now, there's been some debate among scholars, or there's some confusion, I should say, because it doesn't translate perfectly to the English. So I, I pulled up a, a different version. Um, we typically use the English Standard Version when we're reading from the Bible and preaching. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read from the Christian Standard Bible, which I think helps clarify it just a little bit better. So again, verse 6, it says, For this reason the gospel was also preached to those who are now dead, so that although they might be judged in the flesh according to human standards, they might live in the Spirit according to God's standards. Now scholars support the addition of these words to help explain so we can comprehend what he's talking about. See, back then, Peter was actually talking about those believers who had recently passed or had died during his time. Okay, that is what he is referring to there. The thing is, when it comes to death, that is the great equalizer. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter what you believe. Ultimately, we're all going to die. 
short of the coming of Christ, we're all destined to die in our fleshly, in our fleshly bodies. The re, this is a result from the fall, right? When, when sin came into the world, so did death. And there is no escape. So when they're talking about those who are now dead, what Peter's trying to explain to the church is they were asking the question, so if we're still going to die, why do all this? Why be a believer? Why put up with persecution? You know, some of those who had died may have died from persecution. We don't know. But obviously, it's always easier to, to get along to go along or go along to get along, right, than it is to be different in today's world. It's human nature to judge those that are different than us. And I think it's a fair question. But Peter did a good job of answering. He said, though they have died, and remember, we will as well, they had a hope because they lived on in the Spirit. And even though their earthly bodies had passed away, they were alive with God. And we have that same hope. All believers do. Because of the saving grace, we will not receive the judgment that we deserve. That brings me to point number two, where we as Christ followers have a greater reward. You know, back when Peter was writing, those who had died but had heard the gospel and believed, they had received the, the, the gift of saving grace. Jesus loved us enough to offer himself as a sacrifice on that cross. He did the Father's will, was beaten, tortured, and nailed to a tree and hung until he died because he knew that was the price that had to be paid. Because of his actions, though, we are sanctified. You know, when we go before God to be judged, we're going to have the tremendous benefit, the only benefit that really matters, of having our, our public defender, if you will, by our side. Christ Jesus himself will stand there and go, yeah, we admit these wrongs were done. However, the price is paid. So God can still be fair and judge us the way we should be. But ultimately, because he is a just God, we are free because of what Jesus did for us. We've been sanctified. We've been set apart and made holy. And those who are saved will live forever in God's presence. You know, when Peter in verse 6 says, for this reason, what he's talking about, his answer is, it's because we are sanctified that now we are called to be different. We are called to be nonconformers. So picking up in verse 7, Peter says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. You know, there's no doubt we are closer to the end times than we've ever been before. Right? I mean, 
it, it's not too hard to look at the news and think that it's, it's, it's going to happen tomorrow. But we truly don't know when Christ is coming back. Christ himself doesn't know what that day is. Peter, 2,000 years ago, felt that the time was near. And we need to feel that same sense of urgency. We must act as though it's going to happen tonight. When you think what's truly at stake here, it is far too valuable to push it off. You know, no one knows when they're going to die. Not any one of us. You don't know when your family are going to pass away, your friends, those you come in contact with through the various ways you make human interaction. Every moment needs to be treated as if it's a last opportunity. We cannot afford to think that there's plenty of time to get to that conversation. You know, we are to be different. We are to avoid the temptation to conform. And Peter is spelling out how we are to be different from the world. So my third point is that we have a standard of living that we are called to as Christ followers. To start with, we are to be self-controlled and sober-minded in our prayers. How focused are you in your prayer life? Are you self-controlled? Are you sober-minded? Do you, do you go at it with a sense where you're trying to study and diligently understand what's at stake and what God's will is in the situation? Sober-minded is, is defined as studious and logical. And studious for us as Christ followers is to understand God's will. We're not to be ruled by our, our emotions. Let me give you an example the election, right? Big day this week. What are you praying for? Are you praying for a specific party to win or for God's will to be done? Are you willing to accept the outcome even if the other candidate wins and to understand that God has ordained them for this time? Are you praying from a perspective where God is in ultimate control and that the election only affects what takes place in this world, but that ultimately God has already won the war. Are you willing to demonstrate to love to all, no matter who wins? You know, there, there's no doubt this week's a big deal for our country and it matters. We, we need to be praying this week. This week. We need to be Seeking God's will, not just for the vote and what happens, but for the response that comes in the days to follow. We need to be on our knees. We need to be sober-minded in what we're praying for, though, and, and realize that ultimately we need to be seeking God's will, not our own. That can be hard, but this is a perfect time to do that. No matter what we're praying for, whether it's the election our health, our family, jobs, or just difficult situations we're dealing with, we must do so with a mind that is fully focused on God's will from his perspective, not our own. Picking up in verse 8, it says, Above all, keep loving one another 
earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. You know, Jesus told us the two greatest commandments are to love God and love people. It's so important that we've added that as our mission statement here at New Life. It's absolutely critical that we do those two things. Have you thought about what it means to love God and to love people in a self-controlled, sober-minded way, trying to understand what it means at its core? You know, thankfully, we don't have to figure it out on our own. We have the gift of the Scripture, right? 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, if you will, spells out what love looks like. I'm going to paraphrase here. It's not on the screen, but I just want to tell you what it, what it tells us when it explains what love is. Love is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way, it is not irritable or resentful, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. You know, those verses were actually read at my wedding almost 30 years ago. I can say I did not fully grasp the importance of those verses at 22 years old like I do at 51 years old. I fail at showing love all the time. You know, you know the, the saddest thing is I probably fail the most with those that I love the most, my wife specifically. I read through those, and I sit in judgment. Being judged, that is because I know I don't demonstrate love to her in the way a husband, a Christ-following husband should do. I think about those I work with. How am I showing them love on a daily basis? People that I'm spending 40 hours a week with. I think about my kids, my grandkids. Grandkids are easy. But kids, it's not always easy with kids. I love you girls, but I definitely try. How do I demonstrate love at the cash register? Or to the guy that just cut me off on the highway? It can be a challenge at times, for sure. Now, Peter spells out a little further how, what else we're supposed to do in, in our response to what Christ has done for us on the cross. In verse 9, he's talking about hospitality without grumbling. You know, our attitude matters. How we respond to people matters. How in the world are we going to be a light if we're walking around complaining and grumbling? Don't think about hospitality solely from the perspective of bringing people to your house. Think of it in the workplace. Think of it at the cash register. Do you think people are drawn to you if you're frowning? I know it's hard right now with the mask and you think you can get by maybe without showing the smile. But I can tell you there's never a time in my life where I feel like it's more important to go out of my way to give people hope. And even though they can't see your face, they can see your eyes. Your eyes will show what your heart is feeling. You know, I have the benefit. My wife says that I have these little wrinkle lines here, so it looks like I'm smiling probably more often than I'm not. But the truth is, 
showing hospitality without grumbling can be applied no matter where we're at. We are to use our gifts to serve one another. You know, we all have spiritually gifts. We must, spiritual gifts, I should say. We must make the effort to use those to demonstrate love and to support one another. He spells out a few ones specifically. He says, to those who speak, to speak as one who speaks oracles of God. What he's talking about there is as if you're speaking the scriptures themselves. We need to be thoughtful and God-honoring in our speech, measuring our words carefully. I know the elder team will tell you, I, I have a phrase that I use a lot, and they're tired of hearing it, quite honestly. But words matter. Because they do. What you say, what comes out of your mouth, can cut people down worse than anything else. And it will get replayed in their mind and refined and made even worse probably. What you say, you don't have to be just up on stage preaching to think that you have to be careful about the words you choose to use or not use. We all need to be doing that. It says, to those who serve to remain strong and not grow weary, but lean on God's strength to push through. When I read this, there's one team that came to mind specifically, our setup and teardown team. For almost a year now, we've been mobile, moving back and forth, into the container, out of the container. For those that don't help and see what's going on, the team's here before 8 a.m., setting it up. So when you come here, it looks just like you left it the week before. And then when it's all said and done, they tear it all down and put it back. They usually don't get out of here until about 1230. Some are longer than that. So for four and a half hours every Sunday, they're here to make sure we have a place to come to to worship. Now we're trying to find a permanent place, but that's a vital task that needs to happen. And this team I know getting up, especially as we get into the months of winter, it's going to get harder and harder. It can make you feel weary. I just want to say to those that do it, thank you. For me, thank you so very much for what you do to make a Sunday go off without a hitch. It's huge. But oftentimes we we can't lean on our own strength because if we did, we'd only fail. You know, there's no doubt we are not to conform. We are to be different. The world needs to see us as different and for us to be non-conformers. But the cool thing is there's a very good reason for us to do these things. And finishing with verse 11, Peter says, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever Amen. And this brings me to point four, which, which is we are to do everything for the glory of God. You know, I just love how Peter puts an exclamation point on this whole thing. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. He's still got more to say. He's not done writing. But this is such an important point for us to take away. And it's so vital for us to understand. And he's excited about it. 
And we should be too. Because we hold to that same truth. That Christ died for the sin that we have committed so that we can be justified and sanctified. You know, by doing these things, being different than the world, remembering our ultimate reward, and by living our life according to the standard that we are called to, we glorify God. That is why we are here. It's not to go to work. It's not to raise kids. It's not to make money. It's to glorify God. Now, in doing all those things, we have an opportunity to glorify God, but we need to take it seriously. So a quick review of the key points. So, so we are called to be different from those in the world. We as Christ followers have a greater reward. We have a standard of living that we are called to, and we are to do everything for the glory of God. Imagine the church as a whole, how relevant we could be if we took that seriously every single day. The election would be a minor event. The trials and tribulations of the world would not be an end. The world would see that the one true hope for our broken world is in Christ. And truly, everyone would want what we have. From that aspect, it, it is up to us to show the world what the value is in having a Christ-centered life. So as you go out this week, I want to ask you to remember we're not here to conform to the world. Fight that urge. We are to live as those who have a greater reward and never forget that by living this way, we bring glory to God. I just want to encourage you. We have a hope that the world does not have. We have a reason for living we have a reason for suffering, and we have a purpose. We cannot forget that. We need to operate with a sense of urgency because every day does matter. So this week, remember who's in charge. Remember what we live for. Remember what truly matters to us. And in doing so, you'll bring glory to God. Let us pray. Father, I just pray that you can help us to be strong, to be the non-conformers that you have called us to be. I, I pray that we can be reminded of our reward, that we can bring glory to you in all that we do, the one true and holy King, and Father, I just thank you for giving the hope that we have through your Son. Amen.